So, that being said, uh, we're about to kick off final week of Roadmap. Before we do that, I want to say this. We come together as a church to do a handful of things. One of them is to worship corporately, and so we sing. One of them is to be in the Word, so we read Scripture. One of those is to pray, so we pray. And, and we're not afraid of these things. We're not, we're not, I'm, not, I'm not challenged by attention spans when it comes to uh, engaging uh, the Spirit of God. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be bound into the TED Talk mentality. So when I first started pastoring, you know, that was, everybody was like, you need to make it more like a TED Talk. That was the conversation. Man, I love a, a TED Talk. Don't get me wrong, I, I do. I enjoy some TED Talks, but I want to encounter God. And so each week we are working hard to create an environment where God is honored by that which we bring as a sacrifice of praise. And then we come into a time of teaching, and the burden that I have is to, to take the Word of God, not my Word, not, not my words, the Word of God, and to try to expound on it in a way that helps it make sense to all of us, right, so that we're learning, and then we can take that and relate it to the world around us. And Galatians has just been so powerful in attempting to accomplish that, I feel like. And so we're going to dive into the last week of Roadmap. Let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time uh, as we prepare our hearts to receive the Word. Father, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Father, thank you for family. Thank you for community. Thank you for being with us. As we wrap up uh, our study here in the letter to uh, uh, the Galatians, I pray that we would receive all that you have for us, Father, that we would encounter you, and Father, that you would make this so applicable tangibly for us in, the, in, in our communities, in the way that we're living our lives. We love you and praise you. Amen and amen. All right, so week six of Roadmap. We called this series Roadmap because Galatians is really a course correction, right? So Galatia, the, the, the Galatian uh, churches, or it's a network of churches that really make up this region. And so there's a national issue that's going on, and it is creating this pull within the churches that Paul has become aware of, and Paul begins to, to, to get concerned. So he writes this letter to these churches, telling them that you're, you're getting off base. There's only one way to Christ. Okay? There's not multiple gospels. There's not multiple paths. There's one path to get to the cross. Okay? And if you add all these things in, you're going to get lost. And so just like with, with us, if we're trying to get somewhere, we want good directions. And that was Paul's goal, is to bring some course correction and give good directions for the people who are in these churches. So, I do not I have control over song lyrics down here, uh, if somebody could get that uh, corrected real quick. So the first thing I want to do is I want to bring us up from last week. So last week he was, uh, in, he was talking about the flesh, and so what Paul did was Paul laid out some arguments about some actual sins that, that the people need to be concerned with. Now, let me just, let me just lay this out there. Um, we have the ability within our own nature to operate with tremendous hate, right? We can operate with vile and disgust. We can say terrible things. And so there's no 
comprehensive, li- comprehensive list of sins that, that exist out there that are just like these are the only things you don't do. In fact, even here, uh, Paul, he lists a bunch of different sins that we uh, should avoid as followers of Christ. And then he says, and things of the like, right? Because he is fully aware of the fact that if we have a list of here's what you don't do, we'll find a way to kind of, well, you know, I didn't technically break that rule. Uh, and and, and, and this, is, this is the way we operate, right? So there are times with my children as a parent where I'll tell them, hey, I want you to not do something, right? And, and then when I ask them and they're like, no, I didn't do that. Like I can read into that and I'm like, okay, but what did you do, right? Because, because something inside of you right now is, is even trying to balance your words. And, and we can be guilty of this, right? We can, we can be guilty of, of, of kind of eh, slightly veering off the path, but, you know, nobody really said anything, so it's okay. Paul wants to make sure that, th- that we understand, yeah, there are some things that are definitely easy to be called out, but we can get caught up in the flesh, serving ourselves, doing our own thing, wanting what we want, and, and, and being... Uh, ignoring the cost when it comes to others. And he wraps up this thought here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 26. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And this is a really great thought for us to kind of kick off Galatians 6 with, because inside of the church sometimes we can, as individuals, we can begin to think that we know what's best. And so we can then come and we can project that onto people who are supposed to be our brothers and sisters, okay? And we can say, hey, let me tell you how you're supposed to be living. And then when they don't act the way that we want them to, we can become guilty inside of the church, right, of becoming conceited, provoking others, or even envying others. And so, so Paul says, listen, I want you to make sure, and, and Jeff kind of touched on this, right, with the whole Easter meal preparation that we've got coming, is like family. Like how can we, within the body of Christ, hold each other accountable without pushing each other past our limits, right? We have to learn how to be able to draw one another in and have some accountability. And so chapter 6, as he wraps up this, this, this letter to these churches, is really about persistence. And the reason that it's about persistence is because, because sometimes it's going to take a lot of effort, and it's going to take a very long time. So let's begin in Galatians chapter 6, uh, here in verse 1. I don't know if we could change the transition on the slides. They're going really, really slow. Uh, just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, verse 1, brothers, if anyone is called in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. So uh, I want to note here that if you are looking in your scripture, you're going to see this little footnote. And I wanted to pause here because anytime that, that there's some, uh, some, some expanded thought in place, I always want to make sure that we're looking at that. A lot of times when we read Scripture, we apply modern definitions into it. So defining your terms, so important. Defining your terms is, is such a consistently important thing in your life, right? Uh, there's, there's an ideology when it comes to legal system that says if you can't get a society to change its laws, change the, the, the definitions of words so that the laws mean what you want them to mean, right? Right? 
That sounds pretty nefarious. That sounds pretty dangerous. But we can find that the enemy will be guilty of doing the same thing when we are looking at Scripture. And so we have to be really careful to make sure that we are taking time to understand terminology. And this word brothers is so quickly makes us think, well, he's just talking to men, right? And it adds to so many social arguments. But that's actually not what's happening here. If you look at it, the, 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 the footnote that I am sorry, guys. I am not 100% sure what's going on. Or brothers and sisters, okay? So the, the, the word brother here is not speaking specifically to gender. It is used interchangeably for brothers and sisters because in the Greek, the word is... Hey, uh, is, is Quinn back there? I'm sorry to do this. Uh, I don't know if somebody could track Quinn down because the slides are really messed up back here. Is that who's working on it? Okay, that would be great. Um, So in the Greek, it, it is a member of the same religious community, especially Christian. So the word brother oftentimes in the New Testament is not speaking to a gender type, okay? It is speaking to the body of Christ, and it is irregardless of whether you are male or female. So these texts, when Paul is writing, and specifically here, he's speaking to all of us. And I think that's important for us to be able to understand. So right here, he goes on and says, uh, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, okay, uh, and a transgression is different than the word sin, and this is an intentional use on Paul's part here, kicking off the thought, transgression is an intentional sin, right? So this is where I know that I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm doing it anyway. And whatever my rationale is, maybe I just go, well, the grace of God is good and it'll be okay. Or, you know, I've, I've been praying and I've got this thing sorted out. I had a college roommate uh, in my first year of Bible college uh, who, who was uh, just engaged in a, in, a, in a lot of, we were at Bible college and he was just engaged in a lifestyle of partying and doing things that were just really not in line with the scripture. And, you know, we, I, I called him out on it one day very lovingly. I was like, hey man, what is going on? And he, this was his response. Look, I know that it's wrong, but I've prayed and God and I have this thing worked out. It'll be fine. Right? And, and, and that's where we move into that extra biblical, like, well, you know, I heard from God and that trumps God's word. And I think the concern should be is if you really heard something, uh, what were, who were you hearing from? Because God is not the author of confusion. His word lets us know that it's going to be consistent. And so this, this idea says that if you catch anybody in a transgression where they're doing something sinful, they know that what they're doing is sinful. So it's not just an accident but it's intentional, right? He says, you who are spiritual, and this word spiritual, I I, want to point to this again, uh, is, 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 you know, in the last chapter, he was talking about the flesh, right? So this word spiritual here is not an accident. It's not like he's sitting here writing out this text and, and, and just kind of throwing out those who are religious. He is actually making a comparison. So you've got those that are in the flesh, right? Now if you find somebody among you, those that you're in community with, and they are in a transgression, they know that they're in sin. It says, let those who are spiritual, and this word uh, in, in the Greek, uh, pneumatikoi, 
it comes from the, the, the word pneuma, which is the spirit, the breath of God, and it's uh, spiritual ones or those who are regenerated non-carnal. So this is what it says. It says, identify those that are among you in your community who are spiritual, who are in pursuit of God. These are people who are making an attempt to really live their lives in a way as to honor God. Now, this tells us a couple of things, and commentators agree on this, that that means that the church community, the body of Christ, the brothers and sisters, is not all made up of people who are riding high and really close to God. There are going to be people among the community who are themselves not at a place where they have found uh, freedom in Christ. And so we identify those people. And so for us, we identify leaders, we identify elders. And when we give you the opportunity to be prayed over, prayed for, and we do that in the back, the people that we ask to kind of head that up are people that we believe have met these qualifications. These are people who are, are, are regenerated, people who are not living a carnal life, right? Now, there may be those among us who are in some type of transition, and this is what Paul's saying. He says, look, when those who are among you are living in sin, they know that they're living in sin, it says, let those who are spiritual, right? It says that they should restore them with a spirit of gentleness, of gentleness, right? So, we have to remember that we share the fallen nature that they have. So when somebody among us, among our our family, is in a transgression, they are doing something wrong, living in sin, Paul is saying, be gentle when you are restoring them. And he goes there and, and he says this, he says, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Why? Because you have the same fallen nature inside of you that you are having to keep in line. So you are having to keep your flesh in check, just like they are having to keep their flesh in check. So be gentle and, you know, to be honest, have some sympathy for what they are going through. Now, that is not, that is not equate to just let them, just, you know, tell them that you love them and let them do their thing. That's not it. Restoration is about bringing somebody back to the place where they are supposed to be. And this idea of being regenerated before God, this is new birth. And so Paul starts this thought moving from the flesh right here into restoration with some strong language, very intentional. And he says that, brothers and sisters, those of you who are believers, you need to First and foremost, before you are worrying about what everybody outside is doing, those that are in a transgression among you, identify those who are spiritual and allow them to begin the process of restoration and do so gently because you are just as susceptible to to the temptation as they are, meaning that if you don't keep yourself in check and you don't put boundaries in place, you might find yourself in the exact same position. And and I'll just take a moment and talk about boundaries real quick. Boundaries are so important when you are talking about walking out a right relationship with God, 
talking about being in right relationship with the people around you. Carmen and I, uh, when we first got married, I was a youth pastor. And as a youth pastor, right out of the gate, we just made our own uh, agreement with one another that, I, that neither one of us would ever drive a teenager, when we were youth pastors, of the opposite sex home by ourselves. So if, a, if a, at the end of a youth night, a girl needed a ride home, never once did I take a girl home by myself. It never happened, and it sometimes was an inconvenience. Sometimes uh, uh, Carmen was pregnant, and she was at home, and I was having to juggle getting other youth leaders around, and it was a problem to make it happen. But I never broke that rule. Why? Because I wanted to make sure that I never was in a position where I would even face temptation, where I would even find myself in a place for failure, right? Because I am fully aware right, of myself being honest, and my capacity to end up in the same place that so many others do. And so part of moving out of that carnal place is about removing yourself from certain situations, creating boundaries in your life, and setting up expectations. And sometimes that can be accountability with other people in your life. Sometimes it can be even putting stuff down, setting stuff away from you in order to find yourself in a place of freedom and regeneration. Now, verse 2, he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, he's going to use this word burdens here quite a bit. And this is uh, just to give you a, a, a little bit of a clearer picture. Uh, this is, I think, uh, even when I'm reading this, like I'm thinking in terms of like a weight that is permanently on somebody. Um, but the actual language in the Greek is actually shipping language. And I think this can make sense to us, right? We're on a, we're in a coastal town, and we see the big ships that are coming through filled with cargo containers. So the burden, the weight that they carry is a temporary weight. So we call it freight. Why? Because it's not permanently on the boat, but it is temporarily on the boat. So the boat has to be able to handle the burden for a season, right? But it, we understand that it is not a forever thing. So when Paul is talking about burdens, as we move forward through the remainder of these verses, he is actually using language that's more in line with like freight, being like it's something that they, it is carry, it is heavy, they are carrying it, but it is not a permanent thing. And so in the Greek, it's a figurative weight, a load, and it's like a pressing on the mind or body, suffering, responsibility that somebody has, anxiety. So it, it can take shape and form in, in all these different ways, but it is not a, he's not saying that, that these are permanent things in people's lives. So, and then he says, so he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to move a lot quicker in the, in the following verses. But these first two verses have a lot of really good stuff here. So he says, you brothers and sisters, be committed to one another, right? And I, I'm going to back up into verse 1 to get here to verse 2. Community is an imperative in your walk with Christ. And when things get difficult, the very last thing that you do is walk away from community, right? That is the biggest mistake that, that as a pastor, I have watched so many people walk into adversity, walk into a difficult situation, walk through a difficult conversation. And what is the one thing that they give up? It is community. They will give up community. And time and time again, you just watch the fruit of what that brings to their life. And it is a spiral that turns into all types of things, right? I mean, it opens the door for so many different uh, manifestations, whether it's alcoholism, uh, maybe it's just 
ultimately marriage is falling apart. And I'm not saying it happens every time, but community is just so important. And allowing people to say difficult things, even when you don't agree with them sometimes, but being able to show back up and be connected, it's so important. And this is what he says. He says, and, and so everybody's bringing in a burden, right? And we share in those burdens. And when we do, We fulfill the law of Christ. What was the law of Christ? Go to John chapter 13, here in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And this is is what Paul says. He says, what share one another's burdens, right? The things that they're walking through, the difficult seasons and situations that they're in. And when you do, you fulfill the law of Christ. What was the law of Christ? To love one another. So quite literally, the way that you love one another is getting engaged in each other's lives and helping each other when you're going through a difficult season. And this is what it, what, what, what it says here in the next verse, John 13. By this All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So so the world looks at a community that is operating this way, and they see Christ, even if they deny Christ. They can't make sense out of a community of people who would say we believe in Christ, and the fruit of that is that they are helping to meet each other's needs. And it's this passing around of, hey, I'm engaged in your life. I want to help you get through this difficult season. And in so doing, Paul says you fulfill the law of Christ. And this is, this is the manifestation that Christians should be having, right? He's been talking about circumcision, this outward, like, compliance with the world, right? And, and, he, and he's saying, like, that's not going to save you. Like, like being more uh, socially relevant, that's not going to connect you. And just because you do something that allows the world outside to go, yeah, you know, they're okay people, that's not, that's not following the, the, the law of Christ. And therefore, they're not going to what? They are not going to know that you are a disciple of Christ. Because the truth is, is that if we will conform to the demands of that are outside of Christ, then why would somebody say, I want what you have? Why would they want Christ? Why would they see something different inside of you? And Paul's going to begin to lay this out. So we'll go back to Galatians chapter 6 here in verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So what does he say? Christ bore our burdens, but are we too good to bear others? Right? Well, I'm busy. This stage of life is one where I just don't really have time to be over there helping. I, don't, I, don't, I can't make time for that right now. You don't know what's going on in my home. And Paul's making this, this statement that says, like, if you think that you are above it, right, you're missing the entire point because Christ came and he, he bore the penalty of your decisions, right? He bore that and he walked it out all the way to the cross, death, burial, resurrection, and he's coming back. And if you think that you are something that is exempt, if you think too much of yourself, here's what I want to tell you, you are absolutely missing the mark. Verse 4, but let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. So, He says, let each one test his 
own work, right? So that it is in himself and not in his neighbor. And this word neighbor is another one of these words that's a little bit deceiving, okay? It is other different, but this is a picture of the world. So when they use this word in the neighbor, they're not talking, again, about the people that you do life with right beside you. It's talking about anybody outside of your community that you come in contact with. And so this is somebody who is different than you, not somebody who is like you. So the use of neighbor here is talking specifically about a group of people that you might come in contact with that themselves are not believers. And, and, and think about that right here. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in the view of the world. That the world does not give us that which we boast in, right? It's not governments that give us what we boast in. It is not societal groups, organizations that let us know what we boast in. It is exclusively something that we have put to a test within ourselves. David does a great job at this in Psalm 139. So if, if you would like to, that's a great uh, uh, chapter in Psalm to read. And, and he talks about how, God, you know the deepest parts of who I am, right? The things that nobody else knows. And what does he say at the end of it? He says, you know all those things, but even so, search me. See if there is anything wicked inside of me. That's this picture that Paul's saying. Paul's saying, like, you need to get inside of you and begin the test process with God so that you can identify what it is that you are boasting in, not what the world around you is saying to boast in. And this comes down to personal responsibility, a very scary word, I understand. But if you have lived enough life, you know that even though these two words paired together might in society be mean words, they are the reality of what it looks like to be able to pay your bills, stand on your own two feet, and take any responsibility for anybody else. And so if you cannot accept personal responsibility, you will not ever find freedom in Christ. Because the whole idea of coming to Christ is, 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 is Jesus, I am a sinner. Not, oh Jesus, I live in a broken world and I need you to come and do something so that everybody can be like me. No, 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 no. It is the realization that I am the one who is far from him so that I am redeemed. Verse 5, for each will have to bear his own load. Here again, this word load, like the freight on a ship, it is temporary. He says that, that even if nobody shows up, right, to help. So if you're not in community and you have separated yourself from that, you're going to have to bear that burden on your own. You're going to have to carry it on your own. And there might be seasons, even in community, where you feel like you're on your own, and you still have to be responsible for it. Now, we express the love of Christ by helping each other, but if nobody shows up to help you with your load, that does not mean that you don't show up to help somebody else. And I can tell you right now, those emotions are really easy to come to because you can give and give and give and sacrifice and do things that people don't even know about, right? serving others, and then have them completely abandon you. And you can walk right through that. And Paul says, Paul says, that's going to happen, right? That's okay. That's the normal order of things. Not everybody is going to get it, understand it. Verse 6, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So 
uh, this, this, this picture here where it says share all good things, this word good is very generic, just like the way we would use good, right? So it's not giving some like excellent like scale, uh, you know, good or good, better, best, worst, whatever. It's very generic, meaning that it is a good thing. And, and what he's saying is he wants people to be reminded that those that teach the word also have burdens. And this is why that it is important when we are talking about uh, 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 pastoral care and we're talking about, uh, 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 you know, whether it's a pastor or a teacher within a church, them being able to afford to pay their own bills, right? This is one of the reasons why the structure of the church is for finances to be given into the church. It's to do ministry, but it's also to be aware of the fact, and I feel, I always feel awkward talking about these types of things because I'm talking about myself, but it's really making sure that you understand that I have bad weeks too, right? That I have seasons in my life where I've got people stepping on me, where I've got people lying about me. Like, like I know you go through the thick of it, but, but I go through it sometimes too, right? And he says, so just be aware that those that are teaching right? That they also need you to share in their burdens from time to time. And so he says, share all good things. Be engaged in the life of those people that are investing in your life. And, and I got to tell you, like, like my heart is just so devastated at what I'm seeing happen in churches all over the country right now. It just seems like we can't hardly get through a week where some pastor of notoriety, and I'm, I'm sure this is even uh, on a bigger scale for, for pastors that nobody's, you know, that, you know, outside of local communities that we haven't heard of, but we just keep seeing pastors either being more and more sinful, uh, uh, and, and sometimes they, people are going, ah, you know, well, it's justified, let them act like that, let them do that thing, or we see complete and total moral failures, and we address them sometimes here because I think it's important that, especially when we're talking about uh, uh, pastors that have, or teachers that have a, a ministry evangelist that go far beyond the local church that I know you might be watching their YouTube videos or whatever, so we'll address those things sometimes, but it breaks my heart. I don't understand how the church in America is in the shape that it's in right now, right? right? Because, the, you know, going to Bible college, being under pastors, like, these were not things that were, were being, you know, taught to us, you know, as ministers. There wasn't like this idea that said, you know, hey, look, when you get a pastor, when you become a pastor, you can do whatever you want to do. Those weren't conversations that were taking place, yet we're finding more and more of that, okay? And so that adds an even greater burden onto the church, and, and there, there is, I just have to tell you this, like my intention as a pastor and the thing that we fight for as a culture from our staff, that their intention in ministering to you is one of honestly pouring our lives into you guys, right? And so when you see us showing up, and I mean, there have been so many times that as a, as a pastor that I've gotten a phone call, I, you know, I kind of joke, you know, three o'clock in the morning, a car is broke down and I'm getting out of bed. My wife will tell you to go change a tire, to go fix a busted water pipe, uh, to, to go and help a, a marriage when there's just a, a huge argument taking place or somebody is missing, driving the streets in the middle of the night, trying to find somebody. I'm just saying, like, these are just, these should be the natural overflows of what a pastor looks like, 
okay? And, and, and I'm sorry that at times in our pop culture society, that is not what we're seeing, but it is the picture of what the New Testament church looked like. And so Paul says, just remember that there is also a sacrifice that is coming from the pastor. Uh, verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And this word mocked means ridiculed. And so it would make a mockery of God for one to not bear the burdens of others and somehow reap the benefits. Paul says, God will not be mocked by you disengaging from community and loving one another and serving one another and somehow then also reaping the benefits of being a child of God. There are benefits of being a child of God, right? But, but Paul says, God won't be mocked like that. You're not going to be able to mock him by going, yeah, I do whatever I want to do over here. And God gave me that, that special parking spot that I was wanting when I was fighting at Good Friday, Walmart, whatever experience you were shooting for. Verse 8, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. These are just, this is straightforward, right? So if what you're doing is for yourself, that's what you'll reap from. And if what you're doing is kingdom-minded and you're sowing into the lives of others, you will reap something that is eternal. And, and I, I got to tell you, like this picture of, of reaping eternal life, and as you're going through commentaries and listen to, to, to some of the, 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 the people out there that really uh, break down Scripture, one of the things that, that, that I found to be really interesting about this verse is that this picture of eternal life is actually not eternal life after death. But, but very specifically, Paul is saying that there becomes a moment when you are alive right here, right now, that you begin to reap from it. And I got to tell you, I relate with that. I, I, I can't explain to you the, the way that God has moved in my family's life, except to tell you that my family has made incredible sacrifices for people over the years, and never once going like that, like, and, and, and I have to be careful because I do believe God takes care of His children, but but I, I, I have a problem in my heart with the idea of that mindset that says, well, I'm going to do this because God's going to do this, right? So never once when we've made sacrifice, uh, made a sacrifice, have we come home and been like, now we're just waiting on God to bring it back 70 times 7. It's going to be amazing, right? And I'm going to have my Ferrari. Uh, I, I, I don't even want a Ferrari. Like if I had the money, I'd probably put it in Bitcoin, right? <laughs> you know, so, so God brings these things. This, this blessing in your life through, the, through that time period of regeneration, right? When you get to the place where you're not carnal and living in sin and you're investing in others, all of a sudden you're walking in eternal life. That is new life has begun. So are you investing in others or yourself? Like really, which is it that you are making an investment in with your life? Verse 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. For in due season, this right here is a promise of encouragement. He says that, listen, it might be difficult, okay, right? But in due season, there's hope. Don't give up. 
And this is another really interesting thing. It says, if we, right here where it says, if we do not give up, that exact terminology in the Greek is found also in Matthew 15. And and listen to the way that this breaks down. It says, verse 32, then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And that, that language right there, lest they faint on the way, is the same in the Greek as lest they give up. And so what Paul is saying is he says, listen, there, there, you, you may have to endure, right? You may have to go through some difficult times, and it may feel like you haven't been fed. But don't give up. Don't give up. So when, it, when you are investing in somebody's life, when you are loving people, when you are trying to do life together and somebody is around you and they just don't seem to be getting it and then on top of it, they're using you as a stepping stool, you know, to get up to the next thing and then they run off into the distance. It's really easy to, to say, I'm done with this. I'm done with people. I, I get that. Like, I, I personally feel that way and I have to constantly remind myself that is not what being a follower of Christ looks like. It is not about me making the decision to be done with people. I might have to say I'm done with this relationship with this person, right? And we have, we have a scriptural balance for that, right? Knocking the dust from our feet and walking away from somebody. But we are not allowed to walk away from community. We are not allowed to walk away from our brothers and sisters who are in need. We have to continue to put ourselves out there. And when we do, God is faithful. And in the right season, he's going to show up. Back to Galatians chapter 6. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, they should be the ones that we very, very first begin to make our investment in. And here's the argument that he's making. It's not that somebody who is not a believer in need is not worthy of us showing up because the Scripture calls us to do that, right? We're going to meet their need. But the way that they see that we are followers of Christ is how we do it for each other. So you can show up, and I would challenge you to be there this Saturday at Red. Uh, There are several men who are going to be at a men's conference. We're going to be out of town. But if you're in town and you're available, show up at Red uh, Saturday. See Matthew and Meredith. You can email Matthew at citychurch.life and be there. We feed anywhere between 80 and 100 families right now. You know, people are lined up uh, an hour before we're serving food to them, right? We, not everybody who's showing up is a believer, right? This is a way that we're serving our community. And Paul says, he's not saying that those are important things. They are very, very important. But when you're interacting with them, if they know that you serve one another and take care of believers, they will know that you are followers of Christ. And it just really lends to the question, why do followers of Christ treat one another the way they do? Why does the church get filled with so much backbiting and cliques and and disconnectedness and and then, you know, and then with with the... evolution of social media, right? I mean, like, we can be keyboard warriors, passive-aggressive, like, constantly making comments and tagging each other in ways that are not edifying. And Paul says that if we serve one another, people know that we're disciples of Christ. But if we're attacking one another, then, then who are we? Verse 11, 
See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Now, this is significant. I talked to you guys earlier in the series about how that there is a, a, a pretty well-grounded theory that Paul, when he had been stoned, was, uh, was hurt in such a way that his eyesight was damaged. I'm not going to lay that argument out again. You can go back to uh, the earlier parts of Roadmap where we did that. But uh, he, here's this argument, right? He says, see with what large letters I am writing. So if his eyesight was damaged, then that would explain why he would write with bigger letters, because he did not have the eyesight to be able to see and write smaller letters. And so this also would explain why a letter like this one uh, is as short as it might be because of the amount of uh, uh, letter space that he had and writing bigger letters. Here's the argument he's making. He says, this is not somebody else's writing. You can tell because I write with large letters, and that's not normal for the day, that it's me writing. And Paul, Paul is saying, hopefully you know that I am for you, right? Hopefully you know the, the, the love that I have for you. So then you will not be deceived when somebody goes, well, that letter's not from Paul. That's not true. No, no, no. You're going to know that this is, this is me writing to you. And so perhaps as proof that these hard words were brought by his hand is evidenced in the large writing due to his poor eyesight. Verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. What does he say here? Those who are concerned with outward appearances, with how you fit in to their society, right? They are happy when you make concessions because it does a couple of things. The, 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 the one thing that it does is it helps them justify themselves because in their minds, if you are right, and this Jesus idea is real, and you're doing these things, well, they're doing them too. Now, they've swayed you to do them, but in their minds, Paul says it will allow them to feel like they are justified so that they can stand before God and go, well, I was no different than them. And Paul says so that when you do that, when you comply with society in ways that contradicts the Scripture— you create false justification in the mind's eye of those people in society. So if the, if the task that's set before us as Christians is to share the gospel so that people will come to know Christ, and we understand that the heart of the Father is that all would know Him, then, then what does it look like when we create scenarios that complicate an individual's path to the cross? So Paul says the reason that you don't comply is because you're complicating the gospel and you're complicating somebody else's path to it. And that's what we have to remember as Christians, right? We, we have to remember that we've come to know the saving knowledge of Christ and, and, the, and the Christ that we know has a heart that all would know him. And so if we care about Christ, then we care about the things that he cares about. And, and I, 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 I get this, right? There are things in my relationship with my wife, right, that I do because they matter to her, not because they matter to me so much, 
right? If you're in relationship with somebody, you get this. Like, there are just sometimes it's like, well, I do this thing because it makes her happy, right? And Paul's asking the question, who are you trying to make happy? If you're trying to make Christ happy, right, if you're trying to walk in the, in, in the fullness of the gospel, then you're not going to be trying to appease the people around you. And ultimately, by not appeasing them, they will know that you are my disciples. Do you, do you, do you understand the flow of this? He says that if you will just not give in to the ways of the world, you'll actually lead them to the gospel. By being resistant and going, I'm not doing that. I'm not participating. It is against the Word of God. It is not going to save anybody. It's not a part of my faith. It's not, it's not leading them away from the cross. It's actually leading them to the cross. Verse 13, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. And so, those who are impressed with outward appearances are already not believers. And so you don't have to comply, right, uh, in, in, in some way because you think it's going to help them know Christ. They already don't know Christ, and they need to know Christ. And I want to tell you, I'm guilty of this even from the platform, right? I have been guilty of this in my life, pastoring and teaching, where I have gotten up and felt like, well, I don't want to offend somebody, so I'll skip this verse. I don't want to create an uncomfortable situation, so you know what, we'll grab coffee and we'll talk about that in private, but I'm not going to do that from the platform because it makes everybody squirm, right? But that's me complying with an external influence that somebody else wants and not trusting that the Word of God is the Word of God and that the Word of God is what's going to lead people, not me. And so in my own conviction, I say, okay, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm done with that. When we, when we are in Scripture, we're just going to go verse by verse, and we're going to say exactly what God wants us to hear. And so your conformity gives them boast. So when you conform, now they boast in your conformity. Look at that church. They're doing what we've asked them to do. Look at that believer. They're doing what we've asked them to do. We'll partner with this group of believers because they've done what we've asked them to do, right? And so Paul's using this language boast because he's building up to this point right here, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He says, you are building up a case for people to boast in something other than the cross. Don't be guilty of that. Let them be lost. Let them not know what they're going to boast in, right? Let them not be comfortable. Let them be uncomfortable. Stay faithful to the gospel. Stay faithful to the word. Love well those that are your brothers and sisters. Serve those outside of the church, but do not conform to the demands of the world, because when you do, you give them a boast that will not save them. And Paul says, the only thing that I would boast in is the cross. And so then what would you boast in? Would you boast in the cross, or would you boast in the things of the world? Ultimately, Boasting in the things of the world is not going to be the path that saves another person. So, another person. So, are you boasting in social acceptance? 
Now, this does not mean that I have to be a jerk everywhere I go, right? Okay, I don't need my bullhorn and my, my picket signs walking down the street screaming about God and, and, and how God hates people. That is not the picture that's painted in this, okay? We lean into the Word of God, we hold each other accountable, we love well, and then the world wants what we have. And you know what? The model worked because it exploded the Roman Empire and became an unstoppable force, not of violence and vengeance, but of love and compassion. We have letters that Caesar was writing out to the governors and rulers of the land saying, listen, I need you to be more like the Christians. They take anybody into their home and feed them. And when one of them's hurting, they, they help. And when one's in financial need, they all come together and, and pay their bills. I need you to start doing that. And then we have letters coming back to Caesar saying, we can't do it. Like they let people who smell into their home. They let people who are, who, are, who are disgusting be a part of what they're doing. Like, we can't do that. We can't stomach it. And all the, all the more, like, Christianity is becoming an unstoppable force. Why? Because what Paul's writing is absolutely true. Like, if we'll just hold the line and be faithful to him and faithful to each other, the world's going to be going, something's different about what's happening over here. And so if, if the enemy is at work, would the enemy not want to stop that if he understood how powerful it was, a tool against him? Verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Only being new, only being regenerated, that's the only thing that counts. Again, I'll make the argument, Abraham was saved pre-circumcision, Paul post-circumcision. Paul's saying, like, it doesn't matter if you're circumcised, you're not circumcised, because he's not making this argument that says, oh, man, you got circumcised. It's all over, right? Like, you've done something bad. It's not forget. No, 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 no. We come to the cross new every day. His mercy is new every day. We do not walk in transgression. When we identify sins in our life, we want to be set free from it. Verse 16, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So, uh, as for all who walk, meaning some will not. Some will not. That's, that's just a reality. Some are going to walk this path out, and some are not going to walk it out. And, and then it used this, uh, this, 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 this language, right? So some will join false teachers. Some will look like everyone else. Some will not walk by this rule, right? Uh, and let me see here. So it, it says right here, upon the Israel of God, right? So, and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. That language right there, look at this. Paul's using is those who walk by the rule of the Spirit are declared to be indeed the true Israel of God, not the Jews who have the name of Israel, but are really only children of Abraham after the flesh. This was a really hard word that Paul put in there because specifically the problem that these churches are facing is that there are Jews, people who are of Israel, right? And they themselves are the ones who are going, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to do this, right? Because they're very legalistic. They're, they're, they're saying, you know, you can have your Christ, but you've got to do all of these things. And Paul says, Great, those that will not walk that way, right? Those that will not do those things, grace be upon them and the Israel of God. 
And so he's not saying, well, you know, grace be upon them even though they're doing what's wrong and I've spent this entire time telling you that what they've done is wrong. No, no, no. This is the picture of what it looks like. You and I as believers are the Israel of God. We are his nation. And this is why when people make this argument about Christianity and, well, you know, the church in the West has has failed this way and that way. Can I just tell you, like, I don't buy into that argument. Because the picture that's given to us inside of Scripture is that as believers, we are His nation. And so whether I'm in the East or the West, we are one nation. If, whether you're a, uh, an, you know, a, a migrant coming out of Syria, a refugee, and you're a Christian, or whether you are you know, a doctor who is driving into your, your nice home and you are a Christian, we are one nation. We are one people. And so the failures of the church are the failures of the church. And this is why there is, like, like when we think about religions like Islam, right, we think about where its home is. When we think about religion like Judaism, the Jewish faith, we think about Israel and where it's at. But when we think about Christianity, we think about it all over the world. Christianity is everywhere, right? I mean, you go into Iran right now, and there, you know, statistics are coming out. It's the fastest growing move of God in the world right now in Iran, underground churches. Why? Because they serve each other. A couple of years ago, Carmen and I were at a John Maxwell event in Orlando, and there was a guy who uh, was there who was from uh, 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 Pakistan. And we were talking, and he was telling us about life over there as a Christian. And he said, I said, well, how do you, how do you share the gospel? How do you win people to the Lord? And he said, he said, you know, you can go all day long and talk to them, and they'll never accept Christ all day long, right, the, the, the Muslims. He said, but what we will do is we will go and take food and put it on their front doorstep with a note that says that it's from the Christian church, and then they'll be sitting at their table praying to Allah because they have nothing to eat, and they'll open the door, and they'll find a bag of groceries from a church that believes in Jesus, and they'll show up at church because they'll say, I prayed to my God and he didn't even show up. I didn't even pray to your God and your God showed up. Why? Because it was about service. It's exactly what Paul's talking about, right? It's talking about, and then when they walk into the church, they find out, well, these are all people who are meeting each other's needs. They're all loving each other. I want to be a part of this. And he tells us sitting there at the table that just the week after he left, he had been out of the, out of the nation for a little while, the church that, he was, uh, that he's a part of there, that a suicide bomber came in and blew up in the lobby, killed like 100 people. And I said, is that a deterrent? Does that, what does that do? He said, no, the church nearly tripled in size, almost 1,000 new people the next week. Why? Well, because all of the people who were impacted by the explosion, the church showed up and began to meet all of their needs. And instead of figuring out how they were going to cover funeral expenses, people were giving of their resources to make sure it happens. That's not modeled anywhere else. It's not modeled anywhere else. And they will know that you are my disciples. Verse 17, we're going to wrap up here. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. So, 
Paul begins the letter as an apostle, and he's ending it as a tried and true servant of God. He says, there is a physical mark on me because I have been in places where it was not received, but I went anyway. And so unlike these false teachers, he bears the evidence of suffering for Christ. He bears it. And he ends here, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers, same language, believers. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. So hear me out. Paul, writing to this, this region, is frustrated. He used some, some uh, language uh, that was quite different from the other letters that he had written. And so he wants to, at the end, make sure that they understand, yeah, I've been very pointed, I've been very direct, I'm calling things out, and you might not think that's normal, but you can tell by the way I'm writing that it's me. What you have got to stop doing is you have got to stop conforming to what the people outside are demanding of you, and you have got to start serving one another. You've got to know each other to do that. You've got to be in life with one another to do that. Community is family. Being connected is so important. And let me tell you, when you get into that difficult situation, whether it's because you feel like there's nobody else like me there, or they don't know what I'm going through, if you walk away, you are hurting yourself. All those thoughts that go, I, I, I'm done, I'm done with the church, I'm done with community, or I'm changing churches, I'm just telling you, like, like you should be really slow to be do, making those decisions. Because as you are walking into a place where you're feeling uncomfortable, it's probably because there is a burden that's being set upon you that you're going to be walking with. And that's the time where you need your brothers and sisters in Christ. And can we just talk about the culture of the church? That's the culture of the church. That's who we've got to be here at City Church. Unrelenting in truth, digging into the word, but loving one another and serving one another. And I promise you, I'm telling you, that if we will be steadfast in due season, as Paul said, we will see the fruit of that, right? With the people in our family who, love, who do not know the Lord coming to know the Lord, the people in our communities who do not know the Lord coming to know the Lord, we will see revolution. We will see change. And it can happen right here in this city, in this community with us. We're going to close in prayer, and I want to say this. Our prayer ministry teams will be available at the back. If you don't know Jesus as Lord of your life and you want to make that decision today to declare Jesus, they will be happy to speak with you. We have a copy of the Scriptures for you uh, that is available. If you do not have a Bible, access to a Bible, you can grab one of those at the Connection Desk. We want to make sure those are available for, for those of you that need them every week. Uh, if you are in this place and this convicts you, I want to close in prayer with you right now that God will create opportunities for you to serve one another, which will mean and will, will require for you to get to know one another, okay, and to take the opportunities outside of these four walls when they present themselves. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you and we are thankful for your word. Thank you for the conviction that your word brings to our lives because that conviction leads us into better places, healthier places. 
places of abundance, Lord, of joy and fulfillment. And, and so I just thank you first and foremost that your word brings direction and correction to our lives. And now, Lord, for those that today are feeling just a, a tender prompting, even in their own spirit, that they, that they need to grab into what this looks like because there are people in their lives that they want to know Christ, that they want to lead to you, Lord, that today would be a day where they would put themselves out there and begin the process of connecting and, and, and socializing and meeting others and then being faithful to share when those needs are presented. One, to share their own needs, but also to share in helping to fulfill the needs of others. God, that we would model this New Testament church in such a way that it brings glory and honor to your name and that the world outside would say, well, I don't know what to say about that church except for that they are disciples of Christ. They love him with all their heart. And maybe I need to know that Christ. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. Amen and amen. Hey, I love you guys as always. Go change your world. We'll see you next Sunday. Don't forget to connect with Jeff and Alta if you want to be a part of the potluck uh, meal on Easter Sunday.